Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts. Today we're going to be talking about ChatGPT, and I've got a feedback because my wife doesn't know how to mute her computer, but that's okay. We're figuring it out. As you can see, we're obviously some pretty big players in the space. Lots of budgets, you know, basketball money over here. Um, but we're going to be talking about ChatGPT and the importance of liturgy. If you don't know what those things are, stay tuned because they're pretty freaking scary. Well, not liturgy, but ChatGPT. Well, it depends. I guess if you're a pretty hardcore non-denominational person, you might be pretty afraid of liturgy. Uh, can ChatGPT replace pastoral authority? That's another question, and ChatGPT is an AI, so get ready to have your socks blown off. The importance of being in the public square, the transhumanism and natural law, and philosophical presuppositions and scripture, and more. So we've got a packed show, so make sure that you stay tuned all the way to the end for also a special uh, little personal announcement of things. It's not anything exciting or anything like that. In fact, actually, I don't think 90% of you are going to care, but uh, I feel like I need to bring that up. Anyway, so welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. And we're back. Can you hear me? Because I can't hear myself now. But I think you guys can hear me all right. I'm just going to adjust my volume here. Test, test, test. Oh, there we go. I got it now. All right. So, uh, like I was saying, we've got some really important things and to go over. But before we get into the real good stuff, I just feel like we need to be transparent. You know, there's a lot of people out there talking about terms and conditions. And after the debacle with Louder with Crowder and Daily Wire, I just really felt moved here to, uh, you know, kind of go over our own term sheet uh, that Lindsay and I put in place very, very early on in our relationship. And, uh, and so I'm just going to bring that up here. All right. <clears throat> so now a lot of you uh, aren't familiar with the biz like Lindsay and I are. And um, what I'm about to show you is what we in the biz, you know, like to call a one pager. Um, it's, it's just a simple, you know, piece of paper to get the uh, get the conversation going with. Um, let me see here. Is it, will this pull up the right one? There we go. All right, now I'm going to have to zoom in on this just a bit because I can't really see it very well. So this is this is the uh, the term sheet, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands exactly you know what we offered Lindsay before she came on, um, you know, and uh, it's just to get the uh, initial discussion started. And we tried to you know we we redlined some stuff, and this was kind of the final thing. So you'll see you know in, in totally legit legal terminology. This is a totally 100% binding term sheet. Um, some people don't think a term sheet is binding, but that's okay. Here at Solomon's Corner, you know, we like to merge them together as well. So we don't have a lot of editors yet, uh, but we're getting them. Should be confidential, but no, uh, kind of self-explanatory. What does that mean, right? It, it means that I probably shouldn't even be doing this right now, but I felt like it would be pretty funny to do it. So we're just going to go line by line. Uh, this contract is totally made up and is completely and totally useless to all parties involved and was only generated in order to present our audience with complete and total transparency of what they already suspect. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I know they said that they only sent one term sheet to Lauer with Crowder, but they might have sent a second one. It probably looked a little bit like this, but maybe a little different, you know. There's some definite, like, you know, differences. Disclaimer. At any point during the reading of this term sheet, the beloved, a.k.a. Lindsay, reserves the right to buffet her husband, a.k.a. Danimal, in a gesture of feminine beauty and dignity in order to retain her honor. Now, that will make sense in a minute as we go through this. Um, Lindsay doesn't know what's in this terms sheet. So, here we go. Number one, term. Now, some of you probably have seen this before because... Of viral videos last week. This is pretty darn close to the way other companies do it. You know, the big players, you know, people who throw around basketball money. Now that doesn't happen here. Um, we have to, we have to barter and trade with our employees. And, and that's exactly what this right here is saying. <laughs> so an initial dating period of three months, at which point the woman in question will be betrothed to Daniel Roberts for life. 
Um, pretty simple, self-explanatory, non-negotiable term here. Not a lot of red ink that got thrown on that one. Um, the fee. Now, this is where people might get a little bit concerned. Um, but Lindsay agreed to this. So the initial offer of approximately $3,500 in the form of an engagement ring. Yes, uh, that's what I did. That was pretty, pretty damn good. Um, and uh, she ended up paying it off herself after we got married because she found out I put a loan on it. So together, we stood strong. In exchange, she will offer copious amounts of the marital act and will occur throughout the beloved's lifetime. Now, some of you might be asking yourself, what's the marital act? And if you're a child, you're definitely wondering, what's the marital act? Is that the exchange of vows? Well, it's the exchange of several vows. Um, there's a lot of ways you could skin that cat. Um, and I'm going to leave it to the adults in the room to explain it. Production costs. Now, this, <laughs> this, this was a nail biter, okay? I wasn't sure if she was going to commit all the way through, but... You know, Lindsay likes to bear her own her own costs of production. So um, made sense right off the bat to get into the bearing of children. Uh, in exchange for my salary, that'd be that'd be mine. Uh, the wife, aka Lindsay, will bear me as many children as her body can produce. Whether that is three or three hundred, or three or one hundred, who knows? But she is legally bound to spawn an army if her body is willing and able to do so. Now I know that this is not necessarily what a lot of women would agree to these days, but we're pretty traditional. Um, you know, take a lot of inspiration from Matt Walsh. You know, shout out to my boy. I don't really know him. He doesn't know me. He probably wouldn't like me that much, but I really felt like I was channeling him right here. Um, cooking meals. Now, this was, again, you know, taboos in society. This might get us kicked off uh, of YouTube before we even get to our thousand subscribers, but we just wanted to be transparent with you guys. Uh, is somebody actually messaging me right now? Oh, okay, no. All right. Uh, Lindsay is required to cook any and all meals upon request and answer to the term wench if the beverage of choice is beer. Now, men, make sure you get this one in there, okay? Uh, if your woman is not willing to answer to wench, she's probably not willing to be married to you, okay? Uh, not At least not till death do you part, okay? Otherwise, the moniker woman will suffice to call on her services at any and all meals with family, friends, guests, and especially dignitaries and ambassadors from other countries. Now, that last bit, we went back and forth a couple times, but uh, it was really vital because uh, we have a lot of dignitaries that come to our house. They have different cultural preferences, and a man has to show himself as the authority. Um, otherwise, he appears weak. So, you know, once Lindsay understood, and I mansplained it to her, she took all the red ink out of this section. Um, which brings us to the next little bit here. Oh my word. Again, this is just a one. This is just a one pager, guys. It's it's just business lingo, you know. You little peons, you probably don't know what it's like oh to uh, to have this. And again, Lindsay is seeing this for the first time, so um, it, that's the best form of communication, by the way, in a marriage. Uh, men make all the decisions, and women just comply, right? No, do not comply shirts in this house. Okay. Once a week, she—that's Lindsay. Will be cook. Will will cook a meal naked, and if unable to do so, will incur a fine to her production cost of twenty five percent for every week that it's missed. Now, thankfully, I think my legal team. Uh, I think we addressed the word naked here. Is is all yes. in reference to the chicken? Yes, naked chicken, right? Yes, but my legal team came back and told your legal team <laughs> to get lost, and they said okay, and all they had to do was put my man card out there, and they said, hey, we're good. When pregnant, now this is a special disclaimer. Uh, there's a lot of stereotypes that women are expected to fulfill in the marriage, and this is one of them. If pregnant, meals are still required, but she may do so barefoot in order to fulfill the stereotype of barefoot and pregnant. No wine will be permitted for the nine-month period of gestation. Okay? Uh, real big pro-life movement right there. All right? Uh, finally, we're getting right towards the end here. Boost confidence of husband via public decrees. Now... This one was a little, it was pretty innovative, okay? Uh, in the words of Jeremy Boring, I tried to take a little bit of inspiration, you know, get innovative with my term sheet. And so it's, it's pretty novel concept here. I think you'll all, you'll all see what I was going for right here. When in public, she will promote at any available opportunity Solomon's Corner merchandise and or podcast episodes with the introductory phrase, my husband is a superhero without a cape. His podcast is the best on the internet. <laughs> 
<laughs> at which point she may proceed to explain to the hearer which particular episode they should listen to first. Now, I should have added first, but these contracts can get a little daunting when you're you know, trying to run the content of the show as well. Now, here's the only clause that's, that I, fe- I felt like I had to you know, put a little skin in the game. You know, shout out to my boy Talib. Thanks for blocking me. Really appreciate it. Only took one try. But in honor of that concept, here's my skin in the game. Failure of Daniel to provide an income will result in Lindsay exercising her frugality superpowers in order to provide for the family, condemn Daniel for his actions, and ensure that he never decides to do a podcast again. He will also have to live in a literal doghouse for up to nine months for each child produced due to marital actions. (laughs) So there you have it, guys. Um, You know, again, I know that... (laughs) kind of like a Pandora's box here in these uh, startup YouTube channels, but I just wanted to make sure that that you guys had, you know, full transparency of of what's going on here with uh, with Lindsay. She is in a happy marriage. You know, I know it seemed daunting at first, but then she signed this right on the dotted line. Um, and I have it somewhere. She, she didn't know how to use cursive, so she wrote it in block letters, but it still worked out. So anyway... I don't think anybody's on here, so there's no no reactions to that. But I'm sure we'll get a little bit of a a little bit of a reaction from our friends later this week. Okay, so what what'd you say? I was just gonna say I'm sure that by church tomorrow morning we'll be we'll <laughs> yeah. be hearing from people. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, thanks for indulging that uh, that little gag there. Hashtag. Uh, what is a wife? What is a wife? <laughs> yeah. What is a wife? Uh, I gotta pull up my notes here. All right. Um, so, for those who don't know, yes, uh, we we are not uh, a comedy show, uh, but we are about the intellectual life. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't crack a couple jokes doing it. Uh, so uh, we try to encourage people uh, to, especially writers and thinkers, you know, not necessarily famous ones or whatever. We just want to be a podcast that kind of attracts people who want to try and live the intellectual life, which is based on this book right here, uh, A.G. Sertelange's The Intellectual Life. Um, Big note on that, uh, we are uh, going to have our e-store coming out soon. We're going to show you that a little bit later and uh, give you a little preview at the end of the show of how this store is coming along, some of the products that are in there. Um, and uh, yeah, and so given that, I'm going to just read you a little section. We're going to do this. We're going to start doing this uh, throughout the show. Just a little quote from the intellectual life here. Um, this really gets at the... Uh, kind of the inspiration for this, but he says, if you are designated as a light bearer, do not go and hide under the bushel, the gleam or the flame expected from you in the house of the father of all love truth and its fruits of life for yourself and for others devote to study and to the profitable use of study, the best part of your time and your heart. And then he also says earlier, this second state of mind is that of one who has the vocation. It implies a serious resolution, the vocation of the intellectual life, which the difference between vocation and occupation is that occupation is what you're paid to do. Vocation is what God called you to do. And if you're blessed to do, have those two in the same thing, that's great. I don't. Um, So anyway, so this is business as ministry is what Solomon's Corner is. Uh, The life of study is austere and imposes grave obligations. It pays. It pays richly. But it exacts an initial outlay that few are capable of. The athletes of the mind, like those of the playing field, must be prepared for privations, long training, a sometimes superhuman tenacity. We must give ourselves from the heart if truth is to give itself to us. Truth serves only its slaves. And so, maybe you're somebody who just likes to read books. Maybe you're somebody who feels like you've got this itch, but you're not really sure how to take it to the next level. Um, you know, Hopefully, this podcast can be some place where you get inspiration for where you want to Take your intellectual vocation next. Maybe you want to dive deeper on a subject we cover or something like that. Post it in the comments. Tweet it at us, at Domestic Dan or at Solomon's Corner, and let us know what you're thinking about. But this is not a uh, apologetics podcast. That's not what we're about. We're not going to sit here and try and uh, argue you into uh, beliefs that you don't necessarily have or have objections. Our goal is to understand the thinkers that we cover, to make sure that we're representing their ideas accurately, not as we would like them to be, but as they actually are, and help everybody else develop that skill as well. As well as developing habits of the mind, things like writing, things like study, things like communication, um, all of those things. And so um, I had a professor inspire me to do this podcast. 
back when I was in seminary, he, he wasn't my actual professor. He was just a speaker who took a time out of his very, very busy schedule. He's a very well-known philosopher in the field of natural law. And he told me about this book and ultimately that I needed to consider entrepreneurial endeavors to try and continue in my vocation. And so this is that attempt. All right. So um, now that we're done there, uh, we're going to show you the e-store real fast just to give you guys a little taste of what's going on. And um, let me just pull that up real quick. And we are here. Boom. There we go. And I am pulling up the browser. You should see our website now. For those who really like our written content, it's coming. I promise. I'm working on an article right now about the Daily Wire, Louder with Crowder stuff um, to kind of compile my thoughts on that. We got good responses on that episode, so we're going to try and put that out there. Not to stir the pot, but, you know, uh, just because I think that there's some things that people are missing on both sides. But for the store, you're going to come in here, and you're going to click here. And right here, you can see our, our e-store. Now, I want to talk about this real fast before I show you the inside. We are going to have, like, a pre-opening we're going to send out a password to our to our email subscribers that are on this list. This is not our e-list. So if you put your newsletter email in here, we will actually uh, be sending out a, a special password for you to get access to the store early with probably like a discount of some sort, like maybe 10% off or whatever, to just help us get into the rhythm of uh, what it's like when our store is actually open and taking orders. That also means you get first dibs on what we have in there, uh, including the pens, as well as any other merchandise that we uh, you know, imagine in our heads uh, before launch. So uh, we're gonna have really good stuff. You know, These keep thinking mugs right here. Uh, I don't know if you can see those, but hashtag keep thinking. Um, that's our hashtag that we, uh, we do, and you can see it here as well. And it also comes in black. Um, Although the black ones don't seem to hold up as well in the dishwasher. But anyway, neither here nor there. They're made in China, so give me a break. All right, so uh, that being said, uh, one, of the, one of the products we're going to launch with is called the Founders Kit. It's going to have the intellectual life uh, with it. It's going to come with a mug. It's going to come with a kick-butt little pen right here. I don't know if you can see that guy there. Can you see that? Is that a good – is it close enough? Yeah, you're close All right. enough, but it's a smaller window, yep. so you yep. can still see it. All right, there you go. Go and on the website. You'll yes, find it. Yes, go on the website. We'll show you some of those pens up close. That boy, that bad boy is called the Rockefeller. There you go. And then uh, we're going to get some journals to go with those bundles. And these will be kind of like our Founders Edition. You know, they'll be a little pricey, but they'll be supporting our ability to kind of uh, make a little bit of money off of the content here. So when we, uh, when we get in here, we're going to, you know, go in here. Somebody's probably going to figure it out. My wife's freaking out right now. <laughs> All right. So this is the inside of the store. We just wanted to show you this. Um, you know, you got your pens and this is just an update. It's not finished yet, but you'll at least be able to see, you know, how things are coming along. You'll come in here. You'll be able to see, you know, our mug. Lindsay did these, these little photo shoots. She did a great job. Um, and this is what it looks like on the back. Oh, wow. Look at that. Zooming in, man. You guys can really see it now. Boom. Keep thinking. All right. Um, and, uh, and so you'll see some pens, and these are going to be the pens that you can get with your uh, actual Intellectual Life starter kit. So um, they're not all the same price, but uh, yeah. So these will come with it. You'll get $150 credit towards a different pen if you want to. Uh, not this particular pen, but you'll have $150 credit with your Intellectual Life starter kit, and uh, you'll be able to use that for a pen of your choice. So... That being said, um, we are going to dive into the actual fun content of the show and get out of the business loop and and start back into our actual show. Um, I think that is everything. Did I miss anything right now? I don't think so. Okay. So we're going to go over ChatGPT. So last week we talked about this um, idea of well, what happens if ChatGPT actually starts writing sermons. Now, everybody's talking about it from a tech standpoint which in my opinion is is uh, harder for different reasons because it's it's functional syntax. It's functional language. That's what code is. It's functional language. And what happened is, is that people were able to actually use ChatGPT to write code, use it in programs. So I decided, I wonder how good it is actually at theology. Not sermons, theology. 
like the the stuff that most pastors, I would say, um, that I talk to anyway, will give lip service to, but rarely will try and get it accurate to the actual doctrines that are held. Um, part of this is because of the emphasis on um, biblical theology, which is just another kind of systematic theology, um, and the kind of distancing themselves of systematic theology. And so if you don't know what the difference is between those two, stay tuned, we'll uh, we'll go over it. But essentially what happened was, is I logged into ChatGPT this morning, and if you are live with us right now, enter in any questions you want me to ask ChatGPT, and if there are some questions in the comments, I will ask them live, and we'll figure out, we'll see what the what ChatGPT spits out. But that being said, uh, it's pretty freaking impressive, and uh, I should probably at this point say also, uh, you know, this isn't like, we don't aim to be family friendly here, just FYI, like you probably gathered that from the term sheet, I mean, that was innocent, but you know, like, just, we're not focused on the family, okay? So, uh, anyway, hope that hopefully that kind of gets you gets you a little bit of a sense of who we are. Um, so ChatGPT, uh, it, I I have these chats up that I that I did. Uh, I just need to find them here and get them up on the screen, which I think I actually closed them out. Hold on. Da, 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 da. Where are you, chat? We're pulling it up. Just give it a second. Lindsay, you're going to probably have to like do a lot more editing on this one once it's finally done. There we go. And we'll move that over. Close that up. Boop. All right. Now I can't find my, my actual control of the screens. Close all. Yes. And minimize that you'd be surprised how easy it is to get lost when you're hosting your own screen all right can you guys see my chat gpt mm -hmm. you can see it okay mm -hmm. all right so um i'm gonna zoom in here there we go uh i couldn't figure out how to record my screen on apple so i figured well this is a great chance to test out chat gpt and it told me it's command shift 5 and it automatically brings up your recording window um apple is probably going to get a lot better because uh People will realize how convenient some of these things are uh, that are kind of hidden in the machine. But anyway, so uh, one of the questions we posed last week is what's going to happen uh, if ChatGPT actually starts to uh, be used by pastors for their sermons? And does that even matter? Um, based on what everybody's saying on Twitter, some people would say yes, some people would say no. Everybody, nobody really knows what to do with this. And I guess I can't really say Twitter, but on YouTube, there was another guy uh, video that was sent out. To me before we did this that was about um how uh he did asked it to write three sermons he wrote one or he wrote a sermon and then he asked chat gpt to write two on uh the same passage and there's a lot of people saying well you don't have to worry about chat gpt because it's bias ah yes yes it is however it does contextualize your questions so you can make it have your bias if you want to call it that or it's probably better to say your perspective um, and use it that way. And I, and these things, I was only, I recorded my screen during this thing. All these responses were done in, in like all the whole chat thread. And this was with me calling Lindsay over and saying, check this out. Oh my word. Um, so in all these responses were generated in probably less than 10 minutes. So just think about that for a minute. If I, if you got a test question or a, a essay assignment about the Trinity, right? How long would it take you to write that? Probably be a while. Um, and here's the thing. The way that education works is that it doesn't necessarily require you to get it right a lot of times. It just requires you to answer, to, to present your argument. So if the argument is valid, a professor might say, I don't think you're right, but your argument is valid. Okay. So um, let's move on through here and see what it actually produced. And I'll point out where the pain points are often in beginning seminary students or Christians who are trying to figure out what the Trinity is and, um, and see what, see what it actually, what it actually has, uh, to say. So I said, tell me about the Trinity. 
The Trinity refers to the Christian doctrine of the three persons of the one Godhead, namely the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. This doctrine is central to the Christian faith and considered by many to be a mystery that cannot be fully understood by human reason alone. The doctrine of the Trinity asserts that there is one God who exists in three distinct persons, each of whom possesses all the attributes of deity. The Father is the Creator, the Son is the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the Sanctifier. Together they are one God in essence and substance, but distinct in their personal relations. Now you might be able to say, like, okay, well, in God, essence and substance are the same, but that's a little bit of a minor detail. The point is, is that this part right here is the part that almost every pastor when I was in seminary, if I asked them, what is the doctrine of the, of the Trinity, they'd say three and one. Uh, th- th- three what and one what? That's the question. Uh, one pastor said, God's not a what, he's a who. And I said, uh, how do you have a who without a what? Now, this is the problem, is because a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians are not taught the basics of not critical thinking, but the philosophical theology that was uh, derived from the scriptures. And and the Trinity is one of those things. Essence is in the Bible, in the original Greek, there's S-A, you can find that, and in him we move and have our being, you can find that word being used there. I don't, I'm not a Greek scholar, I just have talked with Greek scholars about that passage in particular. Um, you can find some of these terms, if you know the Greek, but to know what they mean in terms of constructing the doctrine, that's much, much harder, which is why so many heresies uh, were circulating around as the church tried to figure out what these actually were. So the concept of the Trinity is firstly introduced in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, and is further developed by the early church fathers. Okay, So notice the term concept. The concept of the Trinity, this is accurate, is introduced in the Bible. But the concept as it's described is developed by the early church fathers. This is an incredible response. Um, and it asks, it begs the question of, okay, if you don't have any other reason to go to church, practically speaking, I'm not talking about whether or not there's a theological obligation to go to church. I'm just saying for, there's a difference between what is expected of a Christian and what a Christian believes is expected of him. And so some Christians out there, and I've asked this before, why do you go to church? I asked it just this week on Twitter. You can check it out at Thomistic Dan on Twitter. You can see uh, what people are saying there. They're, they're giving biblical justifications. They're giving their reasons for why it is or is not required, whatever it may be. But the point is, if the Christian faith is merely about what you know about God, not any sort of religious practice you have, then chat GPT, logically speaking, for the next generations who come up and, and use this thing. And again, this is this is a Google killer, okay? This thing is aggregating your search results and giving you the best answer. It's actually doing the work of research for you, and its answers are pretty damn good. And so at the end of the day, this is, this is a problem for denominations, I think, that don't have a strong liturgy. That doesn't mean that they're going to go out of existence. That doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, fall to the wayside. By the way, can you adjust those blinds right there? It's starting to hit me right in the face. Right in the face. Um, So the issue is, is that how are we going to, how are people going to move forward as young people who already are staying at home with Pastor Pillow, right? They they pull open their phone if they feel like they need a little bit of inspirational juice and they they go to, um, they go, they go to church digitally, right? This is a problem. That's, that's in my opinion, because again, you're not a digital being. You're a material being. You're, you are, you are a, a, a fleshly spiritual being that requires the communion of saints around you, right? Um, this is oftentimes how we find ourselves being encouraged. You know, when, whenever you're in a tough time, it's always better to have a hug than a phone call, right? If that person was there hugging you and telling you the truth, that's even better than just getting the, the digital, you know, ringer on your on your phone. So this causes us to ask the question, well what's going to happen as the as the generation who like us grows up with ChatGPT, right? We grew up with Google and we use it for everything. And it, and pastors who sit here and think that that's not going to actually impact 
people attending your church, I can tell you right now that this generation right here is, if they care about what you're preaching on, is Googling what you're preaching on. ChatGPT is way more formidable, way more formidable, because all it takes is a couple prompts on something you know about to validate its authority, and now you think it knows something about things you don't know about, like physics, right? Now I can come in here as a philosopher, a trained philosopher, and I can say, well, you know, this is, I don't know if I would say essence and substance, because technically, you know, Thomas Aquinas said, you know, God's form and his essence are the same, you know, essence and substance. There's there's probably a nuanced distinction there, but ultimately God's essence and his form are one and the same. He's the only being in which his essence and his form are the same. And for those who don't know what an essence is, it's what makes you what you are. It's your nature. So we say human nature or human essence, divine nature or divine essence, right? It's the stuff that makes you what you are. And it's not material. It's it's formal or it's uh, spiritual. Um, it's it's an immaterial thing. Uh, and so it it's the thing that informs the matter, you know, form, matter. There you go. Uh, and God doesn't have matter, so he's just pure spirit. So his form and his essence are the only, he's the only being in which they're the same. Now, I suspect I could probably even get ChatGPT to give us that kind of formulation. But obviously, this is going to have some impacts. Now, the next question I asked was, write about the Trinity, a sermon about the Trinity for a Catholic priest. And the reason why I did this is because the Catholics and other denominations are or should be, uh, are more concerned about doctrinal accuracy. That's because the, if they if they if they do a heresy, they get in big big trouble. They don't just go start another church. Um, and so one of the questions I had was, well, let's say, you know, I could see where maybe a Protestant would do this, but could a Catholic do it in order to CYA, right? Make sure he doesn't fall, find himself in a heresy or something like that. And let's see what ChatGPT does with this sermon. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, which is, this is really crazy, because if you've ever been at a Catholic Mass or an Anglican Mass, the chat GPT actually mimics the, 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 uh, style. The, yeah, the style of, of the, of the priest, um, you know, and, and pastors and stuff. I know that they're not the only ones who say my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, but they, they, they do it more than non-denominational people. As we come together today to worship and give thanks to our Lord, I want to speak to you about the doctrine of the Trinity, a fundamental belief of our Catholic faith. The Trinity is the belief that there is one God who exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity possesses all the attributes of deity, yet they are distinct in their personal relations. The Father is the creator of all things, the Son is our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. It is important to note that the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery a mystery that cannot be fully understood by human reason alone. It is a belief that we accept by faith and not something that can be grasped by our limited human understanding. However, this should not discourage us from trying to understand it as much as possible. As we read through the Bible, we see the Trinity at work in various instances. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus Christ. It's also important to remember that the Trinity is not a mathematical equation but rather a living reality. That is straight up fire right there. That is good stuff. The Father, the Son, and I haven't read these. I just generated them. So this is, I'm, I'm reading these for the first time too. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not separate gods. Boom! Gets rid of tritheism. But one God in essence and substance. They are united in their love for us and their desire to bring us salvation. The Father sends the Son to redeem us and the Holy Spirit to guide and strengthen us. Together they work in perfect harmony for our salvation. My dear friends, let us remember that the Trinity is not just a doctrine to be studied, but a reality to be experienced as we live out our lives as Catholics. That is straight up Catholic faith. It, it, is, it is crazy how accurate this thing got. Let us strive to deepen our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing that they are always with us, guiding us, and loving us. Let us pray. O oh God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. May the blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you always. That is pretty insane. So the reason why I think this is, and what we've got more on here we can go into, and if there's people in the, uh, oh, you want me to ask what is a woman? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that in a second. Um, so the, the thing that is interesting 
about this is that let's say that, I mean, that's a good sermon. I mean, wouldn't you be proud if you wrote something like I'd be proud if I wrote something like that. And it spat it out in less than 10 seconds. And now the priest goes and does communion. Now, this is where I think it's important. Uh, most denominations believe that the communion is a mystical miracle. Either it, Catholics, they believe it turns into the actual body and blood of Jesus. The uh, Anglicans have some varied views on it. Uh, you can have Anglo-Catholics who hold to the Catholic view. You can have uh, Anglo-Evangelicals who hold to a more symbolic view, like the Baptists. But the majority of the Christians out there in the world, across all denominations, will say that there is something significant about this particular action, that it is an actual miracle that's happening every Sunday, and you should be careful when you partake of it. And, and symbolic people will say that too. I'm not saying that they won't. It's just the, the other denominations tend to have some sort of miraculous view of the communion. And it has to be facilitated by a priest. Okay? With that in mind, the, uh, what'd you say? I was saying change the scene so they can see you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm all right. I'm all good. Because right. um, I want to keep this up here. Okay. So with that in mind, the uh, the issue is is that the, the the Baptist denominations that are doing this, actually, I think you're right. I'm going to take my wife's advice, and I will give you guys the main view. It's just that it's hard to get over on the screen. So with that in mind, the Baptist, you know, or not Baptist, but non-denominational, even evangelical churches is really the, the, the category that we're talking about here. ChatGPT could literally do your job. Like, no problem. Boom. Hey, so-and-so, I want you to preach a message on Matthew 3 or John 3. ChatGPT's got your back. And if you don't believe me, create an account. And I, I, I would be curious to see how many pastors are already doing this. And and the thing is, is that that lead, if that is true, then why should somebody go to church? If the primary reason that somebody goes to church, and I'm not saying that this is what the Bible teaches, I'm just saying that the way people think about their faith matters. There's a difference between what is actually taught and what people actually believe. And what a lot of people believe right now is that the reason they go to church is to get a, a word, to get a word from the pastor, to be inspired about some sort of difficulty in their life that's going to come from God's holy word. Does it bother you if a pastor were to actually generate a sermon about, say, the problem of pain and suffering? Does it affect that in some way? I think some are going to say yes, some are going to say no. Some people are going to say, I don't really care. As long as it's the truth, I don't really care. Which, again, begs the question, then all you, then why would you even go to church if you could just go to ChatGPT and just say something like this? You can go down. Let's go all the way to the bottom. And we say, I'm going through a hard time. My best friend just died. And I need some encouragement from the Bible. Now, I, I don't know what he's going to say. Let's just see. Do you want to flip it so they can see your screen? Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I knew, you'd, I knew you wouldn't let me down. You really living up to that term sheet. Oh, yeah. There you go. I'm sorry to hear about your loss. The death of a loved one can be difficult and painful experience, but the Bible offers the words of hope and comfort in times of sorrow. One passage that may bring you comfort is John 14, 1 through 4. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
This passage reminds us that death is not the end and that there is a place prepared for us in heaven with Jesus. Another passage that may bring you comfort is Psalm 23, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This passage reminds us that God is always with us and he is the source of comfort and protection even in difficult times. Lastly, Isaiah 41.10, which says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This passage reminds us that God is our helper and that he will be there for us to strengthen us and help us in our times of need. It's important to remember that grief is a process and healing takes time. It's also important to reach out to loved ones or a professional for support. So, obviously that's better from a human being. Obviously. But part of that is because we know that because we were part of that generation that we're still not isolated from people for long periods of time working remote, doing getting conditioned to a digital isolated life. And so you can you can go in this thing and it, it is just crazy. You can you can ask this thing its own questions and it will start to give you yeah, you guys see those those questions I asked about uh election integrity. I asked it some other questions on this chat, not just the, uh, not just the uh, theological ones. Um, yeah, like is AI a threat to humanity? We'll get to that one in a little bit. Um, and so I'm trying to get back to oh yeah, ask who is the Antichrist? I mean, it's just, it just gets crazy. We won't be able to get out through everything. Um, let's see here. Okay, we did a biblical argument for abortion. This is crazy. I mean, it, it nails every single one. Um, Keep going through here just to show you that it can switch denominations. What are the three most referenced typologies of Christ in the Old Testament? Boom. The Messiah, the Passover lamb, the prophet. Very interesting. Uh, you can do it for Mary and get the ones that the Catholics use for Mary. The Ark of the Covenant, that is like a huge one. The Queen Mother, the Daughter of Zion, I don't know about that one. If you're Catholic, let me know. But again, this is insane. Just from the standpoint of the, the tradition of presenting sermons from a human authority. And this leads us to the question of, can ChatGPT replace pastoral authority? Well, if the only thing that people are coming to your church for, which you don't really know why they're coming to your church, they just feel like they should be there or whatever, and you get your numbers online or you get your numbers in the pews or whatever, if the reason they're there is just to hear a word from you about a passage or an exegesis, um, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, 30 on up. I'm talking like little ones that grow up with this technology. How is the church going to morph given this technology? Um, and in a lot of ways, that's part of the danger because it's not going to really affect our lives too much because, you know, some of us just, we still have a conscience and feel intrinsically dirty if we were to just take a, a robot's writings and then present it to Christians. But what if that robot is reading it aloud in the voice of Morgan Freeman? Mm. In which case, it's a game changer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you might as well just buy Elon Musk's robot for your church. But anyway, th this is this is uh, this is crazy. Now, this is a good thing to, to, to talk about before we get into the chat GPT and pastoral authority. I asked it what sources do you use for that last response, which is important, right? We're curious about these things. I apologize, but as an AI model, I do not have the capability to reference external sources in a traditional way. However, the information I provided is based on the knowledge of the Catholic theology and the understanding of the Bible that I was trained on. Well, what was that? <laughs> what were you trained on? Uh, my understanding of typologies is based on how they are traditionally understood in Christian theology, which is based on the interpretation of certain verses and passages in the Old Testament that are believed or foreshadow the coming of Jesus and his mother Mary. Typologies I provided in my last response are commonly referenced in Catholic theology, but it is always important to consult with a qualified theologian or Catholic priest for a deeper understanding. Yeah, that little like qualifier right there, that's going to go out the window. Like, once they get this thing really, really bumping and good, that thing's going out the window. No, no question. This was pretty uh, interesting too. I asked it to write a uh, sermon on the mark of the beast, and I'll 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 post these on to uh, Solomon's Corner so you guys can actually read them all. Um, 
or you can just do it yourself. Uh, who is the Antichrist? And, and just as an aside, my dad used to say, uh, we would talk about the end times and things like that. And he would say, sometimes, and, and I don't remember when he started saying that. I don't even know if he still holds to this. So if, if you're somebody who's friends with him and you you watch this, don't hold it over him. But uh, one, one of the things he would say is, you know, maybe the the Antichrist is going to be an AI. And uh, and I would I, I kind of was like, oh, I don't know. Well, Dad, you might be right. <laughs> um, and so this kind of gets back to this question of can it replace pastoral authority and liturgy? The reason why I bring up the liturgy piece is because the AI can't replace that piece. The liturgy, for those that don't know, is is essentially everybody's got one. It's just the the way that you do church. It's it's the motions and movements that you have throughout that one hour time period of the church service. Do you have a table or do you have an altar? Do you have a a communion? every Sunday, or do you have it every quarter? Who knows? The bottom line is, is that the reason why you have the service that you have is because it's reflecting the theology that the denomination holds. That's why you do what you do. One of the, one of the best examples of this is uh, when the, uh, in our church, the priest or, or deacon comes down into the audience for the gospel reading. You have an Old Testament, New Testament reading, and then a gospel reading, and they bring the gospel out into the, into the midst of the people. And the idea here is that the the word is coming into the into the crowd, just like Jesus came into the world. The word was made flesh. The word is now coming in the flesh to preach the good news. Another example is at communion. In uh, most denominations, it has to be a male priest. Um, those that don't hold to that have gone to the heretical side, and these liturgical churches. Whether or not they actually hold to this, whether or not they actually hold the line is a different question. But liturgical churches do have a better argument for male exclusivity in their ordination. And the reason why is because in liturgy, it requires a male to do the communion service because it is essentially a reenactment of the Last Supper. It's like a mini cantata for those uh, who grew up with cantatas or reenactments of the crucifixion of Christ. That's what it is. And so in the same way that you would not expect, you know, Lucy, who's the husband of, of Joe at your church, to play Jesus this year in your Easter play, you also would not expect Lucy to be a priest reenacting the Last Supper because that's not the character. A, a woman can't play a male character in a play. Now, I've talked about this with some people. If you're only sola scriptura, my prediction is, is that eventually female ordination is just going to be run-of-the-mill, because I don't think you can, on Scripture alone, defend that women can't be priests. I, I think that that women, they're, they're, that doesn't mean I think the Bible teaches it. I'm just saying, if you only teach the Bible alone, then all of a sudden you can figure out ways to rationalize passages as, well, that was the culture of their time, it's not there anymore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the bottom line is that liturgy ends up becoming really, really important in an era of AI because AI can't replace the liturgy. And so it also can't replace pastoral authority if that logic holds. So as a result, this becomes very, very crucial for churches to start really thinking about what they believe and why about their liturgies. Because if, if you've got a church that's primarily, and again, this is, I'm talking years down the road. I'm not talking like oh, in the year 2030, you know, we're going to have this kind of stuff. Granted, if crazy cataclysmic things happen, who knows what will happen. But the bottom line is, is that this is this is a crazy tool that is going to really, really change how we think about what it means to deliver the truth and, and how we find the truth. And, and that already happened with Google. And you can just go and ask somebody. They go on YouTube or they go on Google and they look up a video because they want to find something. I talk to parents all the time whose kids want to learn something. They just are like, oh, man, my kids love Google and, or YouTube. And they'll, they're just wanting to absorb information. This is like a superpower. And anybody who goes in here, I mean, it, it, is, it is really mind-blowing when you start asking it questions and it starts generating these responses. So... What are some practical takeaways on this this chat GPT thing? Um, one of the things that is important is this question right here that I asked it. 
Um, it I asked it essentially, uh, I think something about Joe Biden. Here we go. Okay. I said, what do you think of Joe Biden? He says, well, I can't tell you about politics and things like that, blah, blah, blah. I should ask it, what do you think about Trump? Um, see what his response is. But anyway, he talks about how he was inaugurated stuff. But there's this little line here where it says, it is important to note, to keep in mind, my knowledge is based on publicly available information and my responses are limited to the data that I was trained on, which has a cutoff date of 2021. So it's essentially saying here, as I interpret it, and you tell me what you think in the comments, it seems like this is saying that the cutoff date, that there is actually a limited data set that it's working with. And this is important to keep in mind because that means that it may not be able to handle as much data. There's a lot to consider as far as what the technology is. I'm not an AI developer, so I can't really get into all that. The point is, is that it's it's essentially saying, hey, I have a limited data set here. And that'll grow and grow and grow and grow, right? What do you, okay, oh, no. oh, okay, sorry. My wife was was eyeballing me. I guess she was thinking about that term sheet. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, and so anyway, uh, I asked it, you know, it may not have the, I asked it this question about ChatGPT and the cutoff to information. It may not have the most up-to-date information or be able to provide context or background information that has developed after its training, which is interesting. Um, so a lot of these things that are happening, yeah, this one, this one's fun. I'll, I'll, I'll I should really share this out. I, I'm sure I can. Um, but a lot of these things are really, really interesting. I asked it things about the metaphysical foundation for gender. And again, other than this little thing at the bottom, it's important to know that different philosophical and religious traditions may have different understandings of the nature of gender and its metaphysical foundation. It's also worth noting some people may not identify with the gender they were assigned at birth and may identify as non-binary, genderqueer, or another identity. This is a personal choice and should be respected. Okay. So it's giving you a moral obligation here, which you can choose to follow or not. But at the end of the day, its responses on what is the metaphysical foundation for gender were pretty good. And if you're just looking for meat and spitting out the bones, this is an incredible tool. Um, I asked it more questions here, but the point is, is that, and can governments steal elections? This is kind of funny. Corrupt governments can steal elections by using a variety of methods to manipulate the voting process and skew the outcome in their favor. Some examples include voter suppression, such as voter ID laws. <laughs> Ah, man, your bias is showing chat, GPT. Voter intimidation, ballot stuffing. There we go. I mean, it's a pretty neutral position, right? I mean, ballot stuffing is what the Republicans were saying, and voter suppression is what the Democrats are saying. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Media manipulation involves controlling or influencing the media in order to shape public opinion and influence the outcome of the election. That, that's, that's happened. Brought to you by Pfizer. Am I right? Am I right? Okay. Um... Then I asked it this question, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we get to the end of this little little experiment here. It's important to note that it's it's that the data it's trained on is publicly available. One of our book clubs from last year was on Hannah Arendt and the human condition, in which she talks about this public-private distinction. And when you lose your place in the public, you lose your existence, politically speaking. And so there's a lot of people out there who want to actually take this approach of, I'm going to hide, you know, I'm going to wait for this thing to blow over, this cultural war or whatever. I just want to, I want to work. I want to have my 401k. I want to do it. That's all fine and dandy, but you got to have a line in the sand at which you suddenly reveal that you actually do exist publicly. You're not just a representative of your company. You actually have an identity that needs to be in the public space because if it's not there, then then the public will not know about it. And if the public doesn't know about it, it may do things to your, your perspective or your position that could put you at, at risk. And so this is what happens when they start to throw the Jews into concentration camps. They're removing them from the public space because they don't want them to have any political rights. If you're not in the public space, you have no political rights. And that leaves you at a crossroads. You either die for what you believe or you actually, oh, thank you. You, know, you you can just say it. You want to say it? No, can you just no, tell me? What'd you, what'd you text me? What'd you I said change scene, but I didn't okay, want to change in scene. Man, she's, she's, man. Well, you send me the text message. And I'm like, it just says message from wife. Okay, well, and then it's like, 
What? What's the message? I need to just create a hand signal. Yeah. Anyway. Smoke signals. Anyway, what was I saying? Uh, you were talking about Hannah Arendt and about how important it was to be out in, to be putting your thoughts out on the internet. Well, yes, that's yeah. where I was going. Okay, so before I was rudely interrupted, this, this is one of those <laughs> things. I should have worked that into the term sheet. Do not text unless texted to, right? <laughs> so anyway, so at the end of the day, she makes this case that you have to be uh, in the public space. If you lose your public existence, you lose your, your rights. And it's not because they aren't really there in you. It's that the government no longer sees them or sees them as part of you because you're not in that space. And you can already see this starting to happen. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile, people are automatically suspicious of you when they look to hire you. I've, I've been at companies where they say, well, what's on their LinkedIn? Oh, he doesn't have one. Oh, really? Well, that's weird. Why not? And, and it's not that they think that you're a bad person or whatever. They're just like, well, there's got to be a good reason for why he doesn't have a LinkedIn. That's a little weird. And again, people who have the LinkedIn get recruited because the recruiters are on LinkedIn. And so there's this social space that ends up being created in which people are in the public square of careers. So if you don't have a public representation, you don't have a, this is why you have representatives again, you kind of see this whole thing kind of circulating here, then you will not have the rights that you need in order to thrive in society. So when we become silent, when we no longer talk, when we no longer are open about our ideas at work or on, on social media or things like that, it's risky. There's no doubt about it. But the point is, is that the truth needs to be in the public square or else the society will start to live on lies that are called truth. And so if we don't speak truth to power, so to speak, then ultimately power can make truth whatever it wants. And so this is starting to happen with companies like, you know, Pfizer and others who have said some pretty scary stuff um, where they can suddenly start to kind of squeeze your rights a little bit. They're not going to take your rights. They're just going to squeeze them a little bit. And the way that they're going to do that is through things like this. And I wanted to get to this in, in a little bit, but but the point, well, we'll come to the Pfizer thing in a little bit, but I want to finish this segment up on, on Hannah Rent. If you are a thought leader, and what I mean by that is not somebody who's got a following of 2 million people on Twitter. I mean, are you a pastor? Are you a professor? Are you a business leader? Do you, are, do you hold a position of authority in your company or your organization or something like that? If you are, especially if you're a theological uh, leader, and some of you already know this, but a lot of you don't. That's why I'm trying to take the distinction from that 2 million number. I'm saying like if you have a church or something, a small church, maybe 200 people, maybe 50 people, whatever it is, you need to make sure that you are ensuring that you are publicly visible. Even if it means, you know, getting getting hurt in the process, either politically or, uh, you know, use prudential judgment. But, you know, you got, you've got you got to figure out how you're going to fight this culture war. And if you fight it in the, in the darkness, it's not going to make it out into the public. You have to, at some point, you're going to have to put your position out there in the public. And this is important not just for you, but as a leader, but also for the people who are your followers, who are the, the people under your discipleship. They need to see what it looks like to live in this time that we're in of chat GPT and Twitter and social media and undercover journalism and, and conservatives going back and forth at each other. And they need to see what it looks like to live a truth-filled life, even when it might bring... Uh, disdain or pain or hurt or whatever it may be. And they need to see somebody who's willing to take a stand for what they believe. That being said, if you don't have that kind of a pastor, if you don't have that kind of a church, you're still obligated to. There is nothing in the Bible that says that Christianity is supposed to be an easy life. Living in America as, an, as a Christian is one of the, the, the ex rare exceptions of human experience, that you would be able to be a Christian and not have to suffer for it. And so we have to remember that to speak the truth is to suffer for Christ. And he said that. If you follow me, you know, you're going to have problems. So at the end of the day, you have to be willing to reflect on what you believe and why and draw some hard lines in the sand, even if they're arbitrary, and say, I'm not going to go any further because if I keep going, I'm going to become something I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid. I'm going to become the monster I'm trying to fight. And everybody has to have that. If you're working for companies that actively promote 
the undermining of your values, you may need to look for another job. That might be the way that you actually figure out how to fight back. You don't have to go out there screaming on the rooftops. But that doesn't mean you have to stay at the job that you're at. You can find a place where you can actually do work that will pay you and will actually further your values. It's not like the whole world is suddenly a leftist cesspool. There's plenty. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise Daily Wire wouldn't be able to throw basketball money at Louder with Crowder, and Louder with Crowder wouldn't be able to complain about it. So at the end of the day, this is really, really important for everybody to understand. You lose public representation, you lose your, your, your rights, practically speaking. Not ontologically, practically speaking. So anyway, um, I think we've, we've almost covered everything today that we wanted to. I just need to pull up my notes here. And I think that is the last, oh, we're gonna close out with this. Is So this gets to, you've got chat GPT, you got, you've got weird Pfizer drugs. And again, go watch the Project Veritas video if you haven't seen it yet. And it, it is really an, an incredible uh, situation that we find ourselves in of how far are we willing to allow this automation of our lives and this influx of digital transformation to happen. And we may sit here and say, oh, no, 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 like we're the curmudgeons, right? We're sitting here saying, I've never put a brain chip in my head. Are you nuts? Well, if, if little Timmy is six and all of his students in his class have one and they're kicking his butt, he's going to come asking for a brain chip. And then what are you going to do? Now, again, this is a long ways off, but that is what the next generation is going to have to ask. In the same way, when contraception first came out and there were risks associated with it and all these questions, and there's still risks associated with it as far as cancer and things like that, and people just take it because they'd like the convenience over the risk. And that's the same thing that happened with the vaccine. Well, I know that some people would even say, I know that there's risks involved, but you know what? I'm going to take it because I get all these privileges. I can travel. I can go and do all these things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they, in my opinion, compromised on some pretty serious ethical uh, decisions that will affect us all. Whether you took it or not, the decision that you chose did have an impact on the people around you. And um, at the end of the day, the only thing that I think can really, really combat this is a, is a return to natural law. Every denomination has the tradition. The Catholics are the strongest in the tradition of natural law, which is not a coincidence that as far as what they teach, not in terms of what they do, as far as what their doctrines teach, that natural law is just part of the Christian faith. And so, therefore, they don't per- participate or shouldn't participate. If you look at the Pew Research, you find out a lot of them do. But they're not—they're morally in sin, according to the Catholic Church, if they participate in things like uh, contraceptives, especially abortive ones. Um, but the, the Protestants were a lot looser on— contraceptives as a result. But even C.S. Lewis says that contraceptives are one of the three categories in the abolition of man, meaning that his nature is changing. A lot of people think, you know, they'll quote this passage out of abolition of man, you know, uh, men without chests, you know, or whatever, as if there's a problem of courage and things like that. And that might be one valid interpretation. But the book as a whole is about men forgetting what they are because of technology, because of the way education is going. And it's no question that, and he said that that book was a summary of his book, The Hideous Strength. He says that, and The Hideous Strength is all about transhumanism through big oligarchic organizations called NICE. We have an article on our website, solomonscorner.com. You can go check it out. That is what he's concerned about, and contraception is one of them. So, For all you people out there who love C.S. Lewis, you know, 90% of Protestants out there, if they're a woman, is going to jump on contraceptions. I'm not trying to make a moral argument for or against. My only point is, is that the natural law arguments are what prevent things like transhumanism from coming to the forefront. That's what the Nuremberg trials were trying to stop. They didn't quote the Bible. They talked about human rights, as far as I know. Correct me on that if I'm wrong. But at the end of the day... If we do not have a natural law foundation, then things like ChatGPT and other technological innovations will start to come in and push out the human being as part of religion. And it'll eventually be able to mold religion into its image and thereby mold the adherent or the parishioner or the disciple 
into its image rather than the image of Christ. If we don't have natural law, which is God's law as well as his re- is a natural form of his revelation, we will run into some serious, serious ethical problems in the future that might have disastrous consequences if we don't stop it. And so we've got to return back to a natural law view. This will help you interpret scripture better. It'll help you know when ChatGPT is BSing you. And it'll also make you just a better person overall because you'll be thinking ethically rather than just merely propositionally or through proof texts or whatever. So with that being said, that brings us to the end of the content. Uh, Do I need to talk about anything else? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring that part up next. So anyway, if you've made it this far, I appreciate it. I don't think most of you will get to the end of this, but if you did, uh, I just want to bring up something uh, that's going on in our personal life um, that uh, you may have picked up on it a little bit, a lot of Catholic resources and things like that. Um, I am personally investigating the Catholic denomination. Now, why am I telling you this? Um, because when other people did this and then converted, uh, a lot of accusations were made uh, about it, in private conversations about these individuals that they did so for selfish reasons, some of them, not all of them. And so I want to make sure that people understand, well, why is he bringing up all these Catholic resources? What's going on here? I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to pull a fast one on you. So that's part of being honest. Uh, but the second thing is is to make sure that down the road, if it, in fact I do convert to Catholicism, um, it doesn't feel like it's a uh, a push for more followers or something like that. This is the only time you're going to hear about it unless I convert. In the meantime, there's going to be a lot of you know different uh, uh, authors on the on the show, and where this is going to really impact you know the show as far as its content is going to be in the you know what are we reading right now. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Catholic authors because I can't read like six books a week or six books at a time. And so right now I'm going through a Catholic commentary and this is the, what are, what are you reading segment of the show? Going through a Catholic commentary on the new Testament. And I'm going through the, uh, catechism of the Catholic church and I'm about halfway through it right now. And then I'm also, uh, going through Leon Blois, the woman who was poor. Um, we are still going to consider you know, we're going to read Protestant resources and things like that as well. This will not become a Catholic apologetics podcast. At least I don't intend it to be. Um, and I'm not really looking to, you know, get into fights with my Protestant brothers and sisters. I wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for uh, my Protestant brothers and sisters. And again, I'm still Protestant. It's just some things happened over the break that uh, I just led me to have to investigate this. And so I don't want you to be caught off guard or blindsided or any of that kind of stuff. So um, that is just the personal announcement I teased at the beginning. If you got this far, I really appreciate it. If you have any questions, most of you have my phone number. You can feel free to reach out and ask any questions you want. It doesn't mean I'm going to give you all the the whole kit and caboodle of the reasons why, but uh, just I wanted to make sure that nobody felt like they were blindsided as we continue to grow this business and we continue to um, pursue this, that people don't feel like they were supporting somebody who was hiding something from them. So if you'll still support us, I would really appreciate it, really love it, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, I don't really care. But at the end of the day, I wanted to be transparent with you. So if you have any questions, feel free to throw them in the comments. If you want to email us, you can do so uh, at mail at solomonscorner.com. Otherwise, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoy the live stream and hope to see more of you next week at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'm Daniel Roberts for Solomon's Corner. Thanks again, and don't forget, keep thinking. Got to work on my outro. Here we go. Outro video. Outro video. Boom.